The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate balance with Jessica Newell, who is the archivist at the Edgar Casey Foundation, which is, I have to say, this is that's my dream job. Um, hello, Jessica. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I know enough about Edgar Casey to make me dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know that Edgar Casey was known as the sleeping prophet, mm-hmm. right? Why was he known as the sleeping prophet? Can you tell us more about Edgar Casey? Yeah. So uh, the author Jess Stern coined that phrase the sleeping prophet when he was writing his biography of Edgar Casey. So Mr. Casey was born in Hopkinsville, Kentucky in 1877 um, to a farming family. And he throughout his childhood would have interesting, um, you could call them supernatural experiences. So he witnessed his grandfather's death at a very young age, and he would then see his grandfather's spirit in different places around the farm. Mm-hmm. And his, Edgar's mother and grandmother were very you know, open and supportive of him. So they had a, a, both his grandmother and mother had very close relationships with and so they didn't make him feel like that was a strange thing or an odd thing at all, just something naturally that could occur. Right. But he he didn't get to the point when he was kind of delving into more a psychic reading kind of work until around 1900, mm-hmm. 20s. And he lost his voice and he... He tried for months to get it back, went to you know different doctors. They just couldn't figure out what was going on. And in early 1901, he ended up being put under hypnotic trance by a hypnotist who had come into town. Oh my goodness. And he, you know, went into trance and um, directed himself on how to heal his throat so he could speak once he woke up, had no memory of what he said. The gist mm-hmm. of it was he was increasing the circulation, the blood flow around his throat. Oh my God. Reading. And so um, over the next you know months and years, he was just experimenting and trying to figure out what this ability was because he had no idea what were the mechanics of this, where is this coming from? And so um, you know, we're so familiar today with the different types of readings he gave and the whole system of how that worked. And he was really figuring it out on the fly in his early married life. My goodness. And so, <clears throat> yes, he would go into trance, deep, deep trance mm-hmm. to do these readings, which is a bit different than, you know, I'm a psychic medium as well. And I work with clients and um, different than a, a, like a traditional reading. I never go into trance for this, but um, 
that's how he worked. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But, and how many sessions did he do like this? All of his sessions were like this. So for the most part, he would try to stick to two a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on in his life, especially during the 1940s, when his name was being um, you know, shared all around the country, he was being very well known after um, his biography was published. Mm. His son, Hewlin's college friend, Thomas DeGruy, who was a journalist and a writer, wrote this biography of him, which became popular. You had people from all over the country writing into Edgar Casey to see if they could get a reading. He was also mentioned in an article in Coronet Magazine, 1943. So at one point, he was giving more than 14 readings a day. Up from two. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that, um, you know, the, the theory among his, his family and his business associates and everyone was that that, um, that great number of readings, the, you know, the stress and anxiety that came from that whole period that did contribute right. to his death in 1945. Okay. What did he pass of? He had a stroke in September of 1944. And then he just had a slow decline until he passed in January of 45. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, I can't even imagine doing 14 readings like that in one day. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, it just took took all so much energy out of him just to do, you know, two readings a day usually. So I could, you know, the amount of effort that that would have taken. It's incredible. Plus the time to, to, to go into trance and out of trance. You know, I'm also a hypnotist. And so I know that it, it can take a while to get, a, of course, when he's so used to it, it would, he would go pretty quickly. Um, <clears throat> my goodness, that would take a lot out of you. And how many readings did he do total? So in the archive, we have 14,308 but those are not the entirety of the collection um, because there were readings, you know, they were given but never recorded. Um, he had two fires in his photography studios. So that was his profession before he switched to full-time reading. And so, you know, like any, anything else in history, you know, all of the records don't make it, but we have an incredible collection of things that did. Um, so we're, probably one of the most well-known um, archival collections for psychics because it's just so rare to have this wealth of information that we do have. That is extremely rare. How did he, I know he didn't do, you know, recordings, recordings, digital recordings, but, um, or, you know, any type of recordings, but how did he, like, how were these readings known? How did, was somebody just transcribing them? Yeah, so... Um, the system was so he would lay down to go into trance. His wife Gertrude would be what they called the conductor. So she would be leading him into the session. She would be asking him the questions during it. Then his secretary, Gladys Davis, who'd been working with them since 1923, she would sit next to the couch at her stenographer's table. She would write everything he said down in shorthand. Uh, in notebooks with pencil. And then she would go back and transcribe the whole thing, make a carbon copy. So her original transcription would go to the reading recipient and then she would keep the carbon for the records, which is the vast majority of what we have. Right. So if he had a tough job, Gladys had an even longer job to transcribe 14 readings a day. She did. And she was also handling all the correspondence. And once the organizations um, formed to study his work, she was also secretary for board of trustees. And she, you know, before the, the full indexing of these readings, she would be the person to come to if you had a question because she could remember who had what reading, what was the topic, that sort of thing. So she was the the resource for knowledge on these readings for a very long time until they were able 
to get the resources and the people together to actually do topical indexing. So without Gladys Davis, we would not have the archive that we do today. Absolutely. When was this indexing done then? They started in the late 40s and it wasn't complete until 1971. I'm sure. Yeah, the team of staff working on it too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. Because each reading would have several topics in it. So you had to go through the very carefully and index. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, so how did, how did Casey select those people he would do readings for? I'm sure he had, was inundated after those articles came out. Oh yeah. I mean, he would mostly first come first serve kind of thing. Okay. Um, we have, we've got anecdotes from that time in the mid forties of um, having just sacks and sacks of mail in the Casey house. So the post office would just stop doing the daily deliveries and they would have to go and get it themselves. And um, Edgar would feel the, the energies, you know, the, are the vibrations yeah yeah of the people writing to him so sometimes it would be a matter of oh he just found this letter that he just really really needed to answer and it was interesting because he would do that while also Gladys and her staff were trying to create the system to try to handle all of this so it would be constantly reminding him so Edgar we're going to handle first inquiries you take care of the correspondence of people that you've already been helping, and we'll try to make more of an organized effort here. Um, but a lot of times that system would just break down and just be him, you know, choosing what he, he felt truly needed to be answered at that time. Sure. Well, I'm sure that, you know, the, these people's guides, Edgar's guides would be, you know, intervening, no, this is, this is one you really need to respond to. And this is not such an urgent matter, but so, yeah, he would be the, the ultimate guide to know who to respond to. Mm -hmm. How long did each reading take? It was a, a variety of, of time. So it could be 10 minutes. It could be up to 30. It just, there was no um, set set time period that they would occur. And it was just, you know, how much information was needing to be given from what, what I can see from reading them. Sure. And when, the, so when he was doing up to 14 a day, would he go into trance once and do several readings for different people? Or would he go into trance and do one person's request and then go into trance again for another person he would yeah he would repeat that process wow again. Mm -hmm. wow now did he ever talk about where the information was coming from yeah so he he wrote several lectures on his work and he would give them in Norfolk in Washington DC in different places along the east coast and he did one uh, explaining what happened during a reading. And so he describes um, going through in his mind's eye several layers. So it's sort of like planes. Yes. Get to right. um, what he, you know, what he would describe as a hall of records. And it was interesting. Also, he gave a reading on, you know, what was the hall of records exactly? And it came back that his perception as a hall of records, it didn't actually look like that, but that was what his mind could understand as a hall of records. So is it a man with a big book? Necess not necessarily. It may be just a way for his mind to understand that. And so um, that may be the source sometimes he described tapping into a person's subconscious so their subconscious would be more understanding of what was going on with them on a physical level and that's he would receive information as well so he really 
differed from, say, um, spiritualists working at the time. Um, he, in that same lecture that he gave in Norfolk, he was saying, I'm not a spiritualist. But he did, you know, have contact with spiritualists, you know. Sure. Fourth especially. Right. He's spiritualist uh, adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Um he he gave readings for Eileen Garrett and she gave readings for him. Now who's Eileen Garrett? So Eileen Garrett uh worked in originally Britain. She moved to New York City as well. So in the 1930s, Edgar Casey's son, Hugh Lynn, was going to New York City and meeting all these different people who were interested in metaphysical abilities. And so Eileen was one medium that they became acquaintances. And she would work through um, what she called a control. So an entity that she would connect with, who would give her the information. And she's a fascinating person as well, if she started her own publication company. To oh, interesting. Yeah, so she formed Creative Age Press as her imprint. What is it? What is it called again? A Creative Age Press. Creative Age Press. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, it's really interesting looking at the correspondence in this collection as well, because Edgar wasn't working in a bubble. He was right. trying to figure out you know, what was his abilities and how did they relate to other people's and how could they learn from other people? And it's just a fascinating just web of relationships that they created over time. That is fascinating, right? Because I'm sure that all of those interested in metaphysical topics were keenly interested in what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned the this publishing company, from um you know this other psychic this other medium how did casey publish his readings right away no actually so the okay so what they decided to do so after edgar's death 1945 so the board of trustees of the association for research and alignment which is the organization that i work for today right the A-R-E, right? Yes. So they were trying to decide what they were going to do, right? So you don't have Edgar Casey to give readings for people. Now, what is the point of this organization moving forward? Right. Right. So there was suggestions of selling the readings, maybe to a university for study, mm. or keeping them and sharing the information with others and trying to figure out how to do that. So that's what they decided ultimately to do. And so Thomas DeGruy, who wrote the biography, became the head of the publications department, the ARE. Yeah. started with articles, pamphlets, later books. They had founded the Edgar Casey Publishing Company, which later became ARE Press. Mm-hmm. So they decided in conjunction with indexing the readings, making them more accessible, they also had this publishing arm to get the information out to as many people as they could. Right. right. Yes. Um, I've got several of his books at home. Uh, there's one on karma. There's one on healing, which I'm reading now. And then one on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they started to realize what they had early on. Yeah, they definitely concentrated on creating this this ecosystem of speakers and writers, people on staff or volunteering. And so they, you know, as time went on, people from all different walks of life attracted to certain topics or ideas and the readings would come and kind of find their niche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be able to to speak about these concepts, to write books, and just this whole community kind of built in the in the decades, you know, after the forties. Right. Now, at the time, there was also um, a type of hospital. Yeah, yeah. So Edgar's dream was to create a hospital so that people who received readings from him would be able to get the treatment recommended mm-hmm. in those readings because a lot of times it depended on 
the person's doctor, whether they were, you know, be amenable to following these recommendations or not. And so in September of 1925, Edgar Casey, his wife, Gertrude, two sons, Hewlin, Edgar Evans, and Gladys Davis, the secretary, they moved to Virginia Beach. And they were able to receive some financial support to build a hospital here on what is now 67th Street. So mm -hmm. it's uh, a three-story building on the top of the sand dunes here. And it was both a hospital, they had a lecture hall, and a library, just a hub for, for his work. And so um, if you could you know, see the scene in 1928 when the hospital was completed, Virginia Beach was still a tiny little fishing village. Oh, okay. So you could see nothing but sand dunes, a hospital, and then down the beach a little ways, the Cavalier Hotel, which had been finished in 1927, a huge Art Deco brick structure, mm. and then the little tiny town of Virginia Beach. Right. Oh, my gosh. So kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was out in the middle, what seemed like the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. You've also got, you know, the rail line going into Norfolk, mm -hmm. largest naval bases in the country. Oh, right. And you also, at that time, in the 1920s, you've got um, interested business people from the East Coast, especially New York City, looking, um, how can we form Virginia Beach into a similar resort like Atlantic City? like Newport, Rhode Island. So you had a lot of business interests that were kind of eyeing that area. So it turned out to be a very good location, you know, to start a hospital, you know, attract people not only by the, the readings and the treatments, but the atmosphere of being on that beachfront property, you know, with the, the healthful sea air, all that, mm -hmm. just that tradition of, you know, going to certain climates for healing. So you're tapping into that tradition that is already in place here. Right. right. Yes, that's true. Um, and what happened with the hospital? It lasted only about two years. So ah. yeah, the, the depression hit and wow. also financial backing and it closed. And uh, Edgar had a, that was a really, really hard time for him. I'm sure. Yeah, he really questioned what his future, this work would be. Continue mm -hmm. all that. And it was, you know, the people around him that came together, the people in Norfolk that had joined in this work and formed like study groups to to study some of the information, the readings, all the spiritual growth concepts. That kind of right. thing. Absolutely. And so Gladys Davis actually wrote a letter to all of the all of their membership. Mm -hmm. Right. In the the uh, Association of National Investigators, which had run the hospital. This is pre-ARE. So she wrote to everyone in the membership saying, you know, if you still believe in this, please write us back so that Edgar will know. She had a huge meeting at the Casey House, had about 70 people show up, completely oh filling the downstairs out into the front lawn. And they, that was when they all decided as a collective that they would keep going. And that's how the ARE came about. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now, Back to our podcast and back to our guest. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, how could you get into this information, read about it, know about it, know all the results and not believe it and want it to continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now there is something of a um, there's still a treatment center out there in Virginia Beach. Yeah. So we have a, a spa here. Mm-hmm. and a massage school so mm-hmm. the Casey Riley School of Massage and so um, people can come to Virginia Beach to our campus and be able to receive um, different um, spa treatments that are based on that information in the readings and it's wow. housed in that original Casey Hospital building which is really cool that's very exciting um so I wanted to ask too, he, he did so many readings, way more than 14,000. Were they mostly geared toward healing or what were some of the other topics that were covered? Yeah. So the vast majority are for healing various of various kinds, mm-hmm. but also um, do uh, what he termed life readings. So giving information about people's past lives. Yes. A lot of times he wouldn't give them all of their past lives, but just the ones that were specifically pertinent to the life that they were living right then. What would be helpful for them to know. Mm -hmm. So he started giving those in the early 1920s and he really struggled with those. They just, he was giving a, a reading for a man named Arthur Lammers, who was a, a financial supporter of him. And in the reading, just, you know, a passing comment that Arthur Lammers had been a monk in a past life. So Edgar woke up from that and was really uh, surprised with that information that had gone through. And it took him a while to kind of accept that information that was coming through him. Mm-hmm. And apart from life readings, he would also give um, vocational readings as well. So people would come with business questions. Uh, what would their calling in life be? Um, in the 1940s, you had a lot of uh, servicemen and women that would. Oh, yeah. Readings. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, maybe someone uh, would would write him and say, you know, I've joined the army. Uh, what? you know, what part of the army would be best suited to me? How could I be most helpful in this time that I do have in the service? Mm-hmm. And so um, he also gave a lot of um, 
spiritual growth related readings. So for example, um, there was a study group that formed in the early 30s to study those readings. It's called the 262 series. Okay. So every reading had a number. And so what started as a group wanting to increase their psychic ability, it really morphed into something a lot more than that. And it formed what was then called the Search for God group. And so that series of readings would give information on uh, certain themes like uh, cooperation, meditation, faith and understanding. And so this group worked for several years, compiled all this information into an actual book, which was published in 1942, called A Search for God. And so today, the AOE still coordinates Search for God groups around the country that uses material. Oh, that's exciting. I would love to find one of those groups. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned past life readings, life readings. And this, this sounds, all his work sounds so familiar to Dolores Cannon's work, this lady in the picture above my head. Yeah that it just it's it's so amazing um you know there are these different people who come in at different times of our of our history to bring this knowledge out but so anyway i just see the parallels there but when he was doing this work in the past life work was how was that seen was that common knowledge about past lives and it seems like that would be such a foreign concept at the time Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very, very different. <laughs> it definitely wasn't in the, uh, right. the cultural zeitgeist, I would say at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, his son, Hugh Lin flat out rejected it at first. He comes home from school, uh, during Christmas and Edgar hands him a life reading and you know, Hewlin was not into it. He felt it was very, actually very um, invasive. Well, uh, did yeah. he, so did Edgar, um, so was this reading on Hewlin? Yes. So, oh, um, yes. And it, you know, the uh, life readings tend to, it's not just like who you were in a past life. It's, you know, what is your personality like? You know, your hopes, your dreams, desires, weaknesses, strengths. So um, it could be a lot for, <laughs> for, for people to handle when they, you know, when they start reading this stuff, like it, it was a lot for human. And um, eventually he did warm up a lot more and did accept the life readings that they were and wrote a lot about them for ARE. Um, but definitely it, it wasn't, you know, smooth sailing for them. It was a lot of things that were a mystery that needed to be worked out um, to you right. know, figure out what were these readings about. Mm-hmm. And what about the general populace? Uh, uh, how did they accept the past life information? Yeah, I think it it took a while. It definitely wasn't until 1950s, 60s, 70s where it really started to go into to come into providence. Right. Um, we've got uh, several readings in a series called the work readings. So it was asking questions on how the ARE should be run, how should the work be shared mm-hmm. with other people. Um, especially, you know, the 1920s, getting to the early 30s, uh, Edgar and his his staff, his associates, they're really interested in how do we get the word out? And a lot of times they're thinking about writing articles and submitting to newspapers on the country. And they were trying to figure out what would be the best way to present this information. Right. Yeah. And it was very interesting. It was, um, you know, the readings were very... Um, clear and consistent in their advice is they let the work speak for itself. Right. You don't need to sensationalize it. It's, you know, it's very, uh, right. Don't need to sell it. it. Yeah. 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 Um, and the, the phrase that come up, came up like time and time again, was first to the individual, 
then to groups, to classes, and to the masses. So it was create this connection with the individual. If they receive help from the readings, mm -hmm. then they will share it with others and then share the information with people from different walks of life. So, so for me, that that classes aspect, sharing classes, I think is different types of people. So, right. for, you know, for business people, for teachers, for, you know, people in different professions or avocations, how can this material help them? And then to the masses, to people on a greater scale. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to, to read that series and just see that guidance, how that developed over time. Right. I think this is wonderful. Um, you had mentioned the Hall of Records, the Hall of Records that he would said that he would often get information from. Is that the same as the Akashic Records? I think so. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Right, right. Because I know the Akashic Records look a, looks a certain way to me, but then it looks other ways to other people. And I asked about that and, I, you know, I got the same information that you're saying that it makes, it shows up for how it makes sense to that person. Hmm. And I find that so fascinating. Just, isn't uh, it though? Yeah. <laughs> so fascinating. And uh, I do Dolores's work, QHHT, and sometimes people will go to that hall of records, but the way they describe it, it's like, I know that's the Akashic records. It's fascinating. Um, so in all of his health readings, I'm okay. I'm reading the book on healing now. And some of the treatments sound a little um, different. Yeah. <laughs> what type of things did, what type of things did he recommend as treatments? Yeah. So a whole variety of things. So it could stem from you need more sleep, you need to go maybe go to an osteopath or a chiropractor, or it could be this very specific strange tincture of something or other that a certain pharmacy has. Um, there's, you know, stories of him recommending um, this formulation and the, the reading recipient goes to the pharmacy and they say, oh, we don't have it. You know, we've never heard of this ever. Edgar would give a check reading on it and he would say, oh, they do have it. It is on the, you know, the third shelf from the top behind this other bottle that they just missed. And then they would go and they'd be able to find it where it was. No. Yeah. So the, the very, you know, detailed instructions like that. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I know that I've, I picked up um, some rose water at some sort of natural store recommended by Edgar Casey. <laughs> castor oil recommended by Edgar Casey. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Castor oil packs are really, really good readings. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of readings having to do with castor oil packs. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And some of these treatments um, are just, varied um and have medical doctors gone back and and confirmed his findings and the treatments mm -hmm. yeah so that was uh one of gladys davis's responsibilities is that she would collect reports from people who would try yeah. out these remedies sure you put them in the file with the reading itself and also uh, we had in the 50s and 60s through the Edgar Casey Foundation, we would have research divisions. So there was a medical research division, chiropractic, osteopathic. And so physicians who were interested in the material would come to the foundation, work with Gladys, and be able to, you know, do their own experimentation with these remedies and see if they could, you know, help their patients with this. Mm -hmm. so, for example, um, doctors William and Gladys McGarry founded the ARE clinic out in Arizona, which was a direct result of them being interested in this in the Casey material and becoming friends with Hugh and Casey. And then that working relationship just came from there. Oh my gosh. So these things have been um, confirmed, they've been followed up on, they've been researched. Mm -hmm. What kind of results? 
have come out of Edgar Casey's work? Yeah, I mean, a whole number of things like his he he definitely um, would say that you know come and see see if you can apply these remedies to yourself if they work great you know that's all right too um, but I would say there you know every person has a different result from this and that there's just a whole variety of ways that people can been helps through these and and that they're still still researching this today wow you know it would be nice if they um you know if the medical community would teach from this but i don't see that happening anytime soon mm-hmm. no um now do you think or know of anybody who's taking the mantle from casey anyone who's kind of taken this baton and stepping into being the next edgar casey or doing this type of work Mm, that I don't know of, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I always found it interesting in his work. He he definitely said through the readings that that we all have abilities like this that we can cultivate them. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, working with meditation and prayer and taking care of your physical body. And just the whole mind, body, spirit dynamic there. Um, and that there is a lot more, more potential that you can, you can cultivate by taking care of yourself in this way. Right, right. Um, this is just absolutely fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Um, tell me, what is the ARE up to these days? So we're still in Virginia Beach, and so yeah. we have a um, not only the health center and spa here, we also have Atlantic University, which um, offers master's degrees in mindfulness, in transpersonal studies. Uh, we also have um, our lovely library and conference center, and so right. we have um, a, an, an incredible library dedicated to metaphysical topics. So it started out as a tiny little library in the Casey household, collecting books related on this material. And now it, it covers a whole whole wide range of topics. And also we have a medita- meditation room. So every day at noon, we have a staff led meditation. And then we have, you know, many, many conferences throughout the year and all different types of topics, you know, based in the case material, but also by people who've been inspired by this work and have, you know, expanded to their own fields of research. Right. Uh, we have, and we have a bookstore as well on campus sure. where you can, um, you know, find books from authors on these subjects, uh, find some of these these remedies that were recommended in the readings as well. And we have a beautiful meditation garden as well. that you can come and just enjoy the natural scenery and, you know, do your, your meditation practice here. So we have all sorts of things going on all the time. It's a really lovely, vibrant community here on the beach. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and of course, as the archivist, you are in charge of the archives and the library, I would imagine. And so what do your duties entail? What what does an archivist do at the Edgar Casey Foundation? Yeah, so as the archivist, I am both taking care of all these historical records and Mm -hmm. I'm also making them accessible for research. Right. So all in all, my job is collection management. So I've been, since 2018, I've been completely cataloging everything we have in the archive. Uh, We put in all new shelving, a fire suppression system, all of the environmental protections so that this material can last for generations to come. Mm -hmm. I also um, do research assistance. So Mm -hmm. anyone who's interested and coming can come to me and I will connect them with this material. Uh, we have a catalog online 
on edgarcaseyfoundation.org. So as I'm organizing this material, I'm also adding to the finding aids on that website. Right. And also we do a lot of outreach. So I do do conference presentations. I go out into the community and, you know, talk about what we have here and how it connects to, you know, the history of the community around us. We're, you know, an integral part of the history of Virginia Beach and in Hampton Roads. And the more that we can share share that with the community and be a resource for them as well, um, I, I really think that is a pretty great as well. I'm so glad that that work is continuing, even though Casey's been long gone. Um, and I'm just so grateful that there is a place like that and a foundation like this and an archivist who takes care of all of these records. It's very, very, very important. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Jessica. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned, haven't brought up about Casey's work that you think is important? Mm. Mm. I did mention some, so some projects that I've been working on. Yeah. And so um, as part of my, you know, programming initiatives here, um, I'm running a study group with some colleagues of mine on, yeah, on the world affairs series of readings mm -hmm. so edgar gave these between the 1920s and the 40s and it was all about economic conditions political conditions um during the war what was going to happen and so it's very interesting to me that a lot of the the questions edgar was receiving were about you know what is going to happen in the future he almost never gave information like that back it was always coming back to the questioner saying, what are you doing in your own life, for example, to, you know, to help the people around you? How are you cultivating peace in your day-to-day mm. -day lives? So right. our group is called the World Peace World Affairs Study Group. Mm. So we're looking at what are these readings teaching us? about how to cultivate peace in our time. It was inspired back in February with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yes. And, you know, my colleagues and I felt, you know, we needed to be a resource for people. How do we respond to the situation? You know, my husband and I were sitting watching the news. You know, we want to be of help at some point. We're not... You know, we're not living in Poland. We can't go to the border and offer aid like that. What is within our power to help, be it, be it being more of a in related and charitable causes or even just how do we um, pray for the situation? Sure. You know, how can we so conduct ourselves in daily life that we're, we're cultivating peace, which then can spread out into the wider world. So that has been a very, very um, wonderful experience. And uh, I found it very, very just hopeful. And our members in that group are incredible. And we have such amazing conversations. And it's a free group to join. So anyone in the world can join us. So it's online? It is. It is online every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Eastern time. Uh-huh. It's an hour long. And so we start with a, a brief centering meditation. Mm -hmm. We study the reading that we're on for that week. And then we close with a session of prayer. Oh, my gosh. Where can we find out information about that? So you can email me. Mm -hmm. um, so... We'll put your email address in the comments yeah, or in the, in the description. Yeah. 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 So you'll email me. Uh -huh. I will give you all of the information, the Zoom link, um, kind of some, you know, introductory info to get you um, familiar with the format of the meeting as well. But it's been such an amazing experience. It's, it's the highlight of my week for sure. Oh, I'll bet. Well, go ahead and give us the email address and we'll make sure and put it in the in the description. OK, that email address is 
Yeah, the email address is ecf at edgarcaseycayce.org. And that's ECF as in Edgar Casey Foundation. Yes. Wonderful. Okay, we'll make sure and put that in the in the show notes. Thank you so much. This is amazing. And the website in general is edgarcaseycaye.org. It is. That will bring you to the Association for Research and Alignment. Yes. If you'd like to specifically see more about the archive collection. Yes. We are Edgar Casey Foundation. Wonderful. EdgarCaseyFoundation.org. I'm pulling it up right now. EdgarCasey.org and EdgarCaseyFoundation.org. Wonderful. There's lots of information there. My goodness. That's amazing. Wow. This is like an, an academic foundation, you know, archive. That's a wonderful resource. Thank you so much for your time today, Jessica. This has been very enlightening. Thank you so much. I had a ton of fun. Me too. I can't wait to join the study group. That'll be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.